we've been in this series, uh, Kingdom Principles. Today, I want to talk to you about something uh, that really has stirred my heart. Uh, a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years ago now, my wife and I were able to go on a vacation uh, in Arizona, and we went to the Grand Canyon. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, it is something that should be on your bucket list. I was so in awe of the Grand Canyon that I couldn't stop. I'm going to use a word that we really don't use a lot in our vocabulary. I couldn't stop gazing. Gazing. Gazing just simply means looking intently and steadily at. And so I was gazing at the canyon, and I also uh, began to gaze a lot at the trees that were uh, at the top of the canyon and surrounding the canyon because many of them were actually had a twisted trunk. And I thought that it, maybe this is some specific kind of species. So I asked one of the rangers that day uh, what, what, about those trees. And he said, no, those are normal trees. The thing is, in the, up at the canyon there uh, at the top, oftentimes throughout the year, the wind is so strong that over the course of time, it literally has twisted the trunk of the tree. And as I gazed at that uh, and kept looking at it, that's when God gave me a, a message right then and there on the spot, which I have I've shared in the past, twisted but not broken. I'm saying all that because I'm talking about gazing. See, to this day, although if you ask her, she'll tell you he's lying. To this day, I always catch, catch, often catch myself gazing at my wife. See, I find her just as beautiful as the day I first laid eyes on her over 43 years ago. Come on, honey, would you just stand up? Let them gaze at you now. Turn around. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that later. But I did score a few points, right? Here's a great quote from a man named Robert Murray. Listen. A glance at Christ will save you, but it is gazing at Christ that sanctifies the word sanctify, that's a big word. It means makes holy, where God begins to change our life. A gaze at Christ will save, but gazing at Christ, that sanctifies. In Matthew's gospel, as we continue this series on kingdom principles, we're using the gospel of Matthew because the gospel of Matthew speaks a lot about Jesus uh, being the king of the Jews. And so it is the, known as the gospel of the king. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, this is the one verse that we are going to uh, build upon today. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We, we've been learning that the word blessed means happy, uh, where there is, there is a spiritual joy that takes place. Jesus said, the ones who are pure in heart, 
Now the word pure there means to be clean of what defiles us on the inside. It also means this, to, to be undivided in loyalty. So the pure in heart means those who have been, their heart has been cleansed or free from any sinful desires that would control their life. And they have this undivided loyalty to God. And the promise of the Lord is they will see God. Now, the word see here in the Greek is very interesting uh, because it means a continued gaze at something that's remarkable. A continued gaze at something that's remarkable. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will continually gaze at the remarkable presence of God. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean a physical gaze. It's not talking about physical eyesight, but more a spiritual one. See, the pure in heart will be gazing at Christ. And what that breaks down to you and I, it means that we will be ever experiencing his awesome presence. Now, it's important that we re remember this morning or remind ourselves that being a Christian is about gazing at Christ. Being a Christian is about you and I having that continued experience of his awesome presence in our life. That's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about rules and regulations. It's not about religion. It's about having this dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby you are constantly experiencing his awesome presence because it's his presence in our life that transforms us, that changes us. Let's remember uh, what uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 states. Listen, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we all, the Bible says, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Once again, in the Greek, this word contemplate literally means to gaze at continually. So, and we all with unveiled faces gaze at continually the Lord's glory, which symbolizes God's presence. As we do that, we are being transformed into the very image of Christ. You see, the Christian journey is a journey of transformation. Jesus Christ desires to change every one of our lives. He desires to change your life. He doesn't want you to stay the way you are. I think you'll agree with me, the way you are is quite sinful. Come on, look at your neighbor. You can tell him that the way you are is quite sinful. So there's a need for transformation, for change. So that change occurs as you and I experience the very presence of God. As we experience his presence, we are 
change from glory to glory, ever increasing glory. It just, that just simply means that this is a dynamic spiritual process that takes a lifetime. The continuing change so that people see not a better you, but they see Christ in you. That's what's important. So, and this key, of course, here is to have unveiled faces, which once again simply means to have this, this pure heart, a heart that is cleansed from sinful behavior and sinful desires, uh, and, uh, and that's loyal to Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 11 says this, one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. The 24th Psalm, in the third and fourth verses, we read this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. We've been looking at Jesus Christ being the king, our king, the one who governs and rules our life. And we're in this series of kingdom principles because a kingdom principle is a spiritual law, a spiritual guidance that must govern our life if, in fact, we're going to be part of the kingdom. If, in fact, we're going to be uh, living a life that pleases God, we have got to structure our life around these dynamic kingdom principles. And so here we find uh, uh, that Jesus Christ is the king. And if we have this pure heart, we will find ourselves in friendship, which again is speaking about that dynamic, intimate relationship with the king. Not only that, notice the psalmist is posing a question, but then he answers it. Who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? In other words, who can be in the very presence of God? Who can experience God's holy presence? Well, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. See, they are the ones that see God. They are the ones that experiences his dynamic presence. And so here's the kingdom principle that I want to share with you for today. And that is this, the purity of heart enables us to gaze at Christ. It's purity of heart that enables you and I to gaze at Christ. Now, before I elaborate a little bit more about that, there is something that I need to point out, something so important, especially in this day and age. You see, we can be Christian. We can embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. We can say yes to him and even be water baptized. Back there in the baptism, we can do all of those things and come to church on a regular basis. We can have all of those outward appearances and yes, be generally saved. Listen, and not see God. Not gaze at Christ. Not experience his glorious presence. Let me give you an example of that. 
In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, we find the story and the account of a man named Samson. Samson was chosen by God to lead the people of Israel. And to do that, he was endowed with supernatural strength. Now, Samson, the key to his strength was his devotion to God. And, by, and that devotion was demonstrated in that Samson was not allowed to cut his hair. So, so from the moment he was born to, to this moment that we're going to read about, Samson's never, ever cut his hair. It was a physical demonstration that he was, in fact, dedicated to God. And Samson was doing a great job, but something began to happen in his life. You see, Samson had a taste for foreign women. According to God's word and God's law, the Hebrews could only marry another Hebrew. They were not allowed to have a marriage outside of their culture, outside of their race. But Samson, he loved foreign women. And he was constantly pursuing them. And one day, there was a woman named Delilah. And Delilah was a foreigner. And Samson checked her out. She caught Samson's eye. And he began to have relationships with her. His parents said, hey, come on. She, you know she doesn't belong to us. Why are you doing this? Samson didn't want to hear anything. Samson wanted what he wanted. There's a part of Samson in all of us. Oh, yeah. And when we get to that point, we want what we want. We don't care what anybody says. We don't care what God says. We want what we want. Well, that was Samson. He, he felt, I can do what God wants me to do, and yet I could also have what I want to have. The only problem was Delilah was hired by the enemies of the people of God, the Philistines, and her her responsibility, if you will, her, her job was to try to discover the source of Samson's strength. And she tried to manipulate him over and over again, and he, he would not reveal it, but she wore him down. Which is a whole nother sermon that I can talk about how if you continue to flirt with sin, sooner or later, that sin will take you down. So, he falls, he finally tells her the truth that it's all about his hair. My wife thinks that it's always all about my hair. But thank God she's not my Delilah. And, and so she gets Samson to fall asleep on her lap. She takes out a pair of scissors and chop, 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 chop off with his hair. And we'll pick up the account in, in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll get out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. 
Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They sent him to grinding grain in prison. So notice, she's chopping off her his hair, and after she chopped off his hair, she, she yelled, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He gets up, he said, no problem, I'll do what I've always done. But he didn't realize that he had lost the presence of God. And as a result of that, he was just as weak as every other man, and they were easily able to overcome him. They gouged out his eyes. See, Samson lost the presence of God because his heart wasn't pure. He lost the presence of God because his heart was divided. He wanted to serve God, but he also wanted certain things in his life that he was not willing to give up. And because of that undivided heart that was now not unpure, he ultimately succumbed because he lost the presence of God in his life. And listen, the physical gouging out of his eyes, that's just symbolic to represent what had already taken place spiritually. See, Samson couldn't gaze at God anymore. He had allowed this sin to take such root in his heart that he did not even recognize that he was no longer enjoying the very presence of God. Now, why am I saying all of this? Listen to me now. There is nothing sadder in all of Christianity than when we, the people of God, are spiritually blind. There's nothing sadder than when God's people are unaware that they don't have his presence in their life. You see, Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood so that our sins can be dealt with. It could be put away so that our hearts can become clean so that you and I can experience his incredible presence, his awesome presence, so that we would know what it is to live with the very presence of God, gazing at, uh, at Christ, because as we gaze at Christ, as we behold his glory, then we become transformed. But there's nothing sadder than when we're unaware that we don't even have the presence of God. What am I getting at? Listen, let's be real. You can bring your Bible to church. You can read it every single day. You can come faithfully to services. You can do all of those things outwardly right and still live without the presence of God. Still be unaware that you don't have the very presence of God. And when we don't have the presence of God, we become susceptible to being destroyed by sin as Samson was in that moment. You see, we're talking about this kingdom principle today that it's purity of heart that enables you and I to gaze at Christ. And it's the gazing at Christ that transforms our life where we become more like him. Are you with me so far? Okay, so now let me go into quickly about how do I get and keep 
maintain this pure heart. And that's the key for me. How, how do I get that, Pastor? How do I get that and how do I keep that? Well, number one is repentance. Say that word with me, repentance. That means to, to acknowledge that your heart isn't pure to begin with. David, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, which means unwavering spirit within me. David had recognized that he had sinned with Bathsheba. He had committed adultery and he came before God and recognized my heart is impure. God, I need you to create that purity once again. We have to be careful that we, in pride, refuse to humble ourselves when we recognize, when we realize our hearts isn't pure. And by that, it just simply means it's divided. We see, we're not saying this morning that, that, that you don't want to serve God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying to you is it, it's one thing not to have a heart at all for God, it's even worse to have a divided heart because you want God and to serve him, but you also want this part of your life over here that you know conflicts with that part. They, they fight each other. They're against each other, you see. And this undivided heart is what creates so much havoc in the lives of Christians. And the first thing that it does is it robs you of the presence of God. So the first thing we need to do is tell God, God, my heart is impure. I haven't been living the life that I should be living. And I realize today more than ever before, that's why I don't experience your presence. And come on, have you ever gotten to that point in your life? I know I have. Where you wake up one day and you just don't sense God the way you used to. Why has that happened? Why is it that we can't experience the joy of the Lord, where we can't experience his presence the way we used to? Well, I, I think that we'll, we can look into our hearts, and if we're honest, we will find somewhere along the way, our heart became divided. And we want God, but again, we also want something, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's engaged in something that we know this is not pleasing to God, but I want it so much and I'm not willing to let it go. So repentance is the first thing. The second step for us is obedience. And when I talk about obedience, I'm talking about obedience to the truth. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says, and now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. You see, a lot of times we get confused with thinking that confession is repentance. Repentance means, God, I know I'm not right. I'm going to get right. And then this naturally segues into uh, this obedience uh, because, listen, this is the truth. 
I, I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you this morning. Don't ever, don't ever, don't ever structure your life by what a man says. Don't ever structure your life by what an organization says. Don't ever structure your life by what the government says. You structure your life by what the Word of God says. This is the truth. There's nothing else that's the truth. This is the truth. Anything that's ever said from this platform, you make sure, is it in the book? Is it in the book of truth? Because if it's not in the book of truth, then don't receive it. Structure your life around the truth. You got to obey it too. It's not enough to read it. You got to do what it says. There's no blessing. Oh, this is, a lot of people are going to say, oh my God, did you say that? Yeah. There is no blessing in reading the Bible. There's only blessing in doing what it says. You understand where I'm going with that, right? I want you to read your Bible every day. But what good is reading our Bible every day if we never want to put into practice what we're reading? Then we're deceiving ourselves. We begin to think that we've arrived at some spiritual stature because we're reading our Bible every day. No, no. If you want to experience the presence of God, you got to begin structuring your life around the word of God and obey the truth. And here's the last one. We need singleness of desire. The, the 27th Psalm, the fourth verse. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Listen, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What an incredible verse in the Bible that reveals the very heart of the psalmist. He said, I only ask one thing from God. Come on, if God came to you and said, you can have anything you desire, but you could only ask for one thing, what would you ask for? Think about that. The psalmist said, there's only one thing I ask of God. I don't ask for a long life. I don't ask for health in my body. I don't ask for physical prosperity. I don't ask for any of that thing. Here's the one thing that I ask from the Lord. The only thing that I seek from God. I want to be in your house, God. I want to gaze upon your beauty, God. What was the psalmist saying? There is nothing in this world more desirous to me than experiencing the presence of God. You can have all the riches the world has to offer. What good is it if you can't experience the presence of God? You can have physical health, but in the end, what does it buy you if you live a physically healthy life, but have a spiritually bankrupt life? No, the psalmist got it right. This is the one thing that we need. This is the one thing we should desire. We shouldn't desire God for what he can give us in the sense of material possession. Uh, EF, if you would come back wherever you are and help me out, please just begin to play. Christianity has been twisted over the years 
It's been twisted into something that, that God is like this spiritual ATM machine. That if you hit the right keys, man, you could get blessing and blessing and blessing. And the blessing centers around a materialistic life. I want to be, I'm serving God because he's going to give me health. I'm serving God because he's going to help me to prosper physically. He's going to give me this career. He's going to give me a good a spouse, and a great spouse, and I'm going to have a wonderful home. And, and so without realizing it, we have uh, regulated God to some spiritual genie that will give us all these other things. And the psalmist said, no, I don't want any of those things. I just want God. I don't want to know what it is to live without God's presence. I don't want to know what it is to be abandoned from his holy presence. And so I'd rather live as a pauper if it would mean that I would experience his presence every single day of my life. See, a glance at Christ will save you. If you look to Jesus, he will wash away your sins. He will fill you with his spirit. He will write your name in his book of life, which the Bible makes it clear only those whose name is in the book of life will enter the kingdom of heaven one day. So one glance at Christ will save you, but it's gazing at Christ that sanctifies, that transforms us, that structures and molds our life into the very image of Jesus Christ. So that those who don't know Christ can see Christ in us. That loved one that's far from God, the best thing for them is to see Christ in you. They don't need to hear a lot of preaching from you. They don't need to know that they're a sinner. They already know that. What they need to see is Jesus in you. When they see Christ in us, when our speech has been molded by Christ and we speak words that are lovely and pure and edifying, that build up and not tear down, when our actions are, are, are gentle and kind and all of the great characteristic traits that the Bible identifies, people are drawn to that. They want to know what is it that you possess. I'm interested in that. And that then is the opportunity to say, it's not me. It's Jesus in me. And what he is doing in my life, he can do in your life as well. Stand with me. Blessed, happy are the pure in heart. The one whose heart has been cleansed from sin. The one whose heart is loyal to me. For they will see God. They will experience gazing at his presence and that presence that glory will transform 
Father, I come before you this morning. I begin with my heart, God, and the heart of all of us that are present in this room and everyone that will hear this message. None of us are at that place where we can uh, declare uh, uh, in such a, uh, a firm way, my heart is 100% pure before God, 100% loyal to God. Somewhere along the way, there's things that we have been struggling with, the things that we've been fighting with, not wanting to give up. And this morning, you just wanted us to understand from your word that it's only the pure in heart who actually get to see God, to experience the awesome presence. And that's what it's all about, God. Christianity is this phenomenal journey of experiencing you in our life every single day. That's what you died on the cross of Calvary for. And so I pray for all of us today. Like the psalmist, God, if, if there's things that are not in our, our, right in our lives, then right now we tell you we're going to repent. We're going to turn away from that lifestyle, God. We're going to surrender that and let it go. And we ask you right now to create in all of us a pure heart. And give us a steadfast spirit, an unwavering spirit, so that, God, from this moment on, by the strength of your spirit, by the grace of the Lord, we can maintain that pure heart, Lord. That as we read your word, we'll realize it's more than just words on the paper. It is the book of life. And we need to structure our lives around and walk in obedience to this truth. And I pray, Father, that we would all have the heart that the psalmist had. God, one thing I ask, that's what I seek. That what I, that's what I'm pursuing, just this one thing. This is the top priority in my life, that I want to be in the presence of the Lord. I want to live in the presence of the Lord. I want to experience the presence of the Lord so that as I experience your presence, as we all experience your presence, we will be transformed. We'll be changed more into the very image of your son. And your name will receive all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say with me, amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together. Bless the Lord.